quick introduction. I'm privileged this morning to have two of my four sons with me, uh, my son Michael and my son Ian, my two college students uh, who are here for just a couple of more weeks. You will occasionally see um, my wife and uh, my youngest son. Uh, this morning, they're not able to be here, although they send their greetings. They are right now uh, honoring Dr. Chick Shaver, our Sunday school teacher, who is retiring today as Sunday school teacher after having taught that class for, I think, 40 years. Um, and uh, so uh, they very much felt, and, and I agreed, that they needed to be there with him. But uh, you will see them from time to time. But it's good to have my boys with me, and uh, it's a little bit flattering that uh, they chose to be with their old man on a day like this. The word of the Lord this morning is coming from Genesis chapter 12. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to that. It will also be up on the screen. This is the first day of the week. It is a new beginning of a new week. It is a new beginning of a new month. A new beginning of a new year. It is a new beginning of a new chapter. In this church, this is a season of new beginnings. And new beginnings can be exciting. They can be uncomfortable. They can be terrifying. They can be all three at the same time. And so I thought it'd be appropriate this morning for us to take a look at the life of someone who went through a season of new beginnings. That's in Genesis chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Would you stand in honor of the word of God? Genesis chapter 12, hear the word of God. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. One of the things I have come to love about the word of God is its unity. In fact, that's one of the many reasons that I believe that it is truly inspired. It is not two separate books, the New Testament and the Old Testament. It's not 66 separate books. It is one book with one author. And one of the joys coming into a, a new year and starting a new season of reading through the Word is to be able to identify early on some themes and to be able to trace them from Genesis all the way through Revelation. Yet, despite that knowledge that it is one unified book, I was still surprised. I shouldn't have been, but I was. As I was reading through Romans one day, and, I, and it dawned on me that Paul, in talking about the doctrine of salvation by faith and faith alone, that the example that he gives to us of what an appropriate, pleasing faith is, the example is not one of the apostles. It's not someone from Pentecost. It's not someone from the New Testament. He looks all the way back to the first book of the Bible, to the first person whose life is described for us in any great detail, and that, as you know, is Abraham. Now, for the longest time, I thought that salvation by faith and faith alone was a New Testament concept. But that just displays my own ignorance, because God has never changed, and his plan from the very beginning 
has never changed. And so it does make sense that when we talk about a faith that is pleasing, a faith that is saving, a faith that is worth emulating, that it would come from this person, Abraham. Now, why would it be surprising? And consider for a moment what a saving, pleasing faith looks like. If we had somebody who was brand new to the church, brand new to Christianity, if they were to come in today and they were to say to you, tell me what I need to do in order to live a life of faith, what are some of the things you would tell them? Probably, most of us would say, well, you've got to live a life of obedience to God. You have to obey him. You need to obey his law. But keep in mind that Abraham lived a good five to 600 years before Moses and Exodus. So Abraham never heard of the Ten Commandments. So it wasn't his obedience to some external set of laws or rules or regulations that resulted in his faith being pleasing to God. We might say that you need to, to have a life of worship. You need to get involved in your church. Well, Abraham lived prior to Exodus, prior to God beginning to spell out for us the beginnings of what would become the temple system, the sacrificial system, the, the seasons of worship, the religious festivals. Abraham never preached a sermon, as far as we know. Never went on a work and witness trip. Never built a church. Never served on a church board. So it wasn't his obedience to what we would call organized religion that made his faith pleasing and acceptable. Abraham, as far as we know, was not particularly motivated by any type of fear of hell or any need to be rescued from it. Can you even imagine as a 21st century evangelical telling someone about a life of faith without first hitting them over the head with guilt about their disobedience to the law, scaring them to death about the fear of hell, and then offering them a way out through salvation? Somehow Abraham's faith was pleasing to God without those things. Abraham was 75 years old when he started his walk with God. So it wasn't a matter of growing up within the church that made his faith acceptable. It wasn't a matter of, of having gotten past those very perilous years of adolescence and early adulthood without screwing up his life horribly that made his faith acceptable. He was 75 when he started this walk. And maybe there would be someone here today who thinks that your best days are behind you, that your opportunity to start a walk with God is past. I assure you, it is not. So what is it about Abraham's faith? What characterizes it and makes it the type of faith that we are told we are supposed to emulate? It is quite simply a personal attachment between Abraham and the Lord God. Where God said to Abraham, I want you to place your hand in mine. Attach yourself to me and walk with me for the rest of your days. A personal attachment that transformed his life from that point forward, a personal attachment that redefined everything that would take place from that point on. A personal attachment that was simply a walk. Towards the end of his days, Abraham said, the Lord God before whom I have walked all these years, 
It's a walk. A walk. Not obedience to the law, although as general counsel of the Church of the Nazarene, I can assure you the law is very, very important. Not adherence to organized religion and getting plugged in with the church, although those things are very, very important. But it was a walk. A walk. You see, if you go back and you read in the opening chapters of Genesis, you'll find that the, the high point of creation wasn't a prayer meeting, wasn't a missionary service. It was in the cool of the day when the Lord God would come down and he would walk in intimate fellowship with his creatures. And I don't know about you, I only walk with people whom I like. And the reality is, God likes us. And he created us for that kind of a relationship that we can walk with him for the rest of our days. In fact, from the time of Adam to the time of Abraham, there's only one person that the Bible tells us whom death did not touch. That was the man Enoch. And all that the Bible says about him is that Enoch walked with God. And then he was not because God took him. Evidently, this, this ordinary man one day accepted God's invitation to join him on a walk. And it became the pattern of his, of his life. It became the way in which people identified him. Enoch walked with God. And the more he walked with him, the closer he got to him. And evidently one day, as the sun was setting, God said to Enoch, you know, Enoch, you're a lot closer to my place than we are to yours. Why don't you just come home with me? And so he took him. It was a walk. That's what Adam was created for. That's what Enoch was created for. Abraham, that's what you and I were created for. A walk. A personal walk. Now, for the longest time, I looked at, I would look at people like Enoch and Abraham, and I would say, well, yes, of course, these men were righteous, they were good, they were holy, they were pleasing to God, therefore God allowed them to come and walk with him. You know, that's not the way it works. What we find is that these were just ordinary people who accepted God's invitation to join him on a journey. And the more they walked with him, the closer they got to him. And the closer they got to him, the more his righteousness rubbed off on them. And his holiness and his blamelessness. And these ordinary people became holy people because they walked with God. And so I need to ask you this morning, are you walking with God? Would you describe your faith as a walk? A walk in which it is the defining point of your life. It is the characteristic of your life. It is a thing by which everything else is measured. Do you have a personal attachment to God that you could describe as a walk? Now, the thing about attachments is if you're going to attach yourself to something, you necessarily have to detach yourself from some other things, don't you? I didn't quite think about it in these terms at the time, but 20 years ago when I got married, when I stood before the pastor and I said my marriage vows to my wife, when I said I will to Jody, I was saying I won't to three and a half billion other women. <laughs> I can be friends with as many as I want, but she expects and is entitled to my exclusive devotion. That's the way it is with human relationships and that's the way it is in our relationship with God. If we are going to attach ourselves to him, 
we're going to have to detach ourselves from anything that's going to get in the way. And that's what happened with Abraham. God said to Abraham, I want you to go. I want you to leave your home, your family, and your father's household. And in those days, especially for a man, to leave his father's household, that meant you were leaving your vocation because the son basically did what the father did. So he says to Abraham, I need you to leave your home, your family, and what you do for a living so that you'll come walk with me. Now, why those things? I think it's because those three things are the things in which we tend to find our identity. We find our identity, our security, and our personal fulfillment. If I were to sit down with you for the very first time and I say to you, tell me about yourself, what are you going to tell me? There's three things you're going to tell me. You're going to tell me where you're from. You're going to tell me about your family. And you're going to tell me what you do. We draw our identity from that. We identify one another that way. If we were to take a quick poll of this room of the last names represented here, you know what we would find? We would find that the majority of us have our last names from one of those three things, either from a location, family of origin, or an occupation. My mother's maiden name is Bruce. The first uh, of our family to come over to Scotland came from a place in Normandy called Brees. The Scottish way of saying that is Bruce. And so ever since, our family name, the clan name, has pointed back to that location, the point of origin. On my father's side, long time ago, there was a fellow who distinguished himself from everybody else by that name by saying that he was Tom's son, Thompson, family of origin. Or career. How many people have you known by the name of Cook, Fisher, Taylor, Carpenter, Bishop? We identify one another by these things. These are the things from which we draw our security. These are the things that we get our personal fulfillment from. And God said, Abraham, I need you to detach yourself from those things so you can attach yourself to me. Now why? Is there anything wrong with them? Well, no. They are all incredible gifts of God. But I've become convinced that the greatest barrier that any of us will ever face to reaching our full potential in God is his own good gifts. See, his gifts are really good. They are so good that they're almost a substitute for him. And you can have his gifts and not have him, and for a while you think you're fine. And God said, Abraham, I have plans for you. In fact, I have plans for the world through you. And I can't accomplish that in you. If you are going to be attached to those things, I need you to find your identity in me. I need you to find your security in me. And I need you to find your fulfillment in me. And so I need to ask you this morning, in what do you find your identity? In what do you find your security? In what or whom do you find your personal fulfillment or your joy? It's so easy for us to be attached to our home, to our possessions. I, I've seen it so many times, I've experienced it myself. 
Have it ever happened to you where you hear about a need? There may have been a, a great disaster, and they're raising money for that. Or perhaps there's a family within the church you know needs some help, or you hear a missionary speak, and you want to be able to give. But before you can write that check, immediately you think, you know, if I give to the level that I would like to, I don't know, because I've got that mortgage payment coming up in two weeks. I've got the rent that's due. I have a car payment. If I give to the level that I'd really like to be able to give, I'm not going to be able to afford my cell phone plan or my internet access. And before you know it, our possessions possess us. Anything wrong with possessions? No. Again, they are from God. They are God's gift. But when we are attached to them, to the point where they take priority over our attachment to God, then we've got a problem, and we need to be detached from them. You know, you can be attached in an unhealthy way to your family. Now, I'm sympathetic to this. As I said, I've got two of my boys here. These are my two college students right now. And in a couple of weeks, one of them is going back to, to Rolla. Another one's going off to Manhattan, Kansas. And there's a part of me that would really like them to stick around, because I've kind of gotten used to them over the past 18 and 19 years. But to hold on to, to family, where you are the one that is controlling them, that can be a problem. I heard of a missionary who retired not too long ago, and he told the story about how he got his call to missions when he was off to college. He was so excited that God had spoken to him and called him, and he wrote to his mother and he said, Mom, I just have to tell you, God has called me to be a missionary to go to the remotest parts of the world to reach people for Christ. His mother wrote back and said, You must certainly be mistaken. She said, I'm a widow. I live alone. I have a sickness. I, it is permanent. I'm an invalid. It is your Christian duty as my son to stay here and take care of me. You need to pray through on this. Well, he got that letter, and he, he was devastated. And he went and he prayed, and he prayed, and God would not release him. And he wrote back, and he said, Mother, I have prayed. God has confirmed. He has called me. I must be obedient to him. And his mother wrote back and said, You have misunderstood him. God would not do that to me. I need you to stay and take care of me. You have misunderstood. Well, he got that second letter. He went before the Lord. He prayed and he prayed and he prayed and he finally wrote back to her and he said, Mother, it is not that I love you any less, but Christ must be supreme. And where he leads, I must follow and I must trust you to him. Well, she got that letter, fell under conviction. She went before the Lord, confessed her sinfulness, her selfishness, and sat down and wrote a letter, blessing her son and releasing him to missionary service. Now, the interesting thing is, right after that happened, she got well. She was able to live independently for many years to come. But she would have died an invalid had she attached herself to her son over her Lord. And there are thousands of people who came to know the Lord through the ministry of this missionary. And had he not been willing to detach himself from family in order to attach himself to the Lord, they would have died in darkness. 
Let me tell you something. To the degree that you attach yourself to anyone over the Lord, you will be, for that person, a source of corruption and spiritual death. And to the degree that you attach yourself to possessions or prestige or position, you will be, to that extent, worthless to the kingdom. We must be willing to detach. And sometimes we have to say, Lord, crack my knuckles, if necessary, to cause me to let go. So we find our identity in these things. You know, that's true for individuals, and I need to tell you this morning, that's also true for churches. Churches are to find, we are to find our identity in Christ. It's always a mistake, and it's a subtle heresy, to ever refer to my church. Let me tell you about my church. You know, it is not our church. It is his. The church belongs to Jesus. We must find our identity as a church in him. We must find our security in him. We must find our fulfillment in him. Far too often, our churches find their identity in their leaders, in their building, in their history, in their customs, in their structure. And when any of those things change, all of a sudden, there, there is turmoil and loss of effectiveness. We must find our identity in him. Again, that's not to say that there's anything wrong or sinful about our building, about our people, about our past. But you know what so often happens? And I've, I need to tell you right now, the Lord knows I need a lot of time to work on my sermons. So he usually gives me my sermons about two months out. When he gave me this one, I had no idea I was going to be here this morning. So, so I'm not picking on anyone here, I promise. But I've, I've done enough interim pastor work to know that whenever, whenever you get a bump along the way, it's very, very natural to start looking back at the good old days and say, well, if we could only recreate things the way that they were when so-and-so was here, then we could finally get back to what we need to do. We, we need to go back to this style of worship. We need to have this type of program. We need to make sure we've got this number of people meeting on this particular day of the week and we try to recreate the past. Why? Because, because we have placed our attachments on those things. But in the church of Jesus Christ, it is constantly moving. It is dynamic. It is powerful. And when we attach ourselves to him, we can be grateful for the past, but we will not be longing for the past. Because our best days will not, have been, will not be behind us. We will realize that when our identity is in Christ, our best days, our most glorious days, are yet to come. And so this morning, I need to ask you, where is your identity? Where is your identity as an individual, and where is your identity as a corporate body of believers? And is there anything this morning that the Lord is saying to you, I want to be closer to you than you've ever let me, and I need you to detach yourself from something? Is he saying that at all to you this morning? Is he saying to you, I died to get closer to you than you've ever let me. But there's this one thing that's standing in our way. 
Is he bringing something to mind right now? If the Lord is speaking to you, you have an opportunity for a new beginning. Just as Abraham was able at age 75 to leave Ur of Chaldees and go on and through him the entire world was blessed, God wants someone today to accept the invitation to place their hand in his and begin a walk, a walk, a lifelong walk of fellowship and intimacy where he is the most important thing in all of the world. Have you reached that point today? If not, today can be your day to do it. 